Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss Big Trouble in Little China. Sebastian and I'm here with Jennifer. Hello. It's another just the two of us. That's right. Uh, you know we've got big plans up ahead but we needed a kind of mellow week so we decided to do a movie that we're both pretty familiar with and I think it sort of fits in well with the last one we did together which was Army of Darkness. There's some similarities here, yep. I would say. I agree. We are doing John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. Woo! Now, this movie came out in um, 1986. It is a movie that I think a lot of people know at this point, mostly because I think people have probably seen it on cable um, or at this point DVD or streaming or whatever. But not a lot of people saw it. When it came out, uh, it came out to little fanfare. It only made, I think, $11 million at the box office total, and it had like a $20 million budget. So it was a pretty sizable failure. And it sort of was another film that I think sort of led to John Carpenter becoming more and more discouraged as a director. Jen, what is your history with Big Trouble in Little China? I did not see this in the theater for whatever reason. I, I don't even recall it 
coming out or seeing it advertised or anything like that. And I, I went to the movies pretty regularly at that time. I was someone who saw it on cable. I, I feel like it was on TV a lot. Yeah. HBO or maybe other channels. But I mean, I, I've seen it so many times over the years as soon as it was on TV. And I, I really liked it. So yeah, it's one that I'm very familiar with and liked it as a, a younger person and still enjoy it now. Yeah, I have a similar sort of background with it. I definitely did not see it in the theater when it came out. It came out right near Aliens, and Aliens was my jam, yeah. so I just didn't have any time for Big Trouble in Little China. Plus, it looked weird. I feel like there was a music video at the time that had footage from it in the video, but it wasn't the video for the theme song, which we'll talk about later. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just mixing up my memories because it was on cable a lot. But the the video that we're going to talk about later doesn't have any footage from the film? It does, but that wasn't on MTV. No, I know. I know. <laughs> but I, I, I kind of have a memory, the same memory that you do, because I did watch a lot of MTV at the time, and I feel like there was... I feel like I've seen clips of it. Yeah, it had some sort of presence on MTV, I feel like, somehow. But, but definitely not. I don't recall seeing a trailer for it at the movies or I don't know. I, I don't I don't remember having much awareness of when it was coming out in the theater. I was aware of it and I knew it was John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. I had been a huge fan of Escape from New York. Right. So I was aware of it because it was them again teaming up. And I was like, oh, maybe it's going to be another Escape from New York type of success. But I didn't hear anything about it. So I just didn't end up seeing it. But since then, you know, I've seen it a lot on TV. Then, you know, as I became an adult, especially when I started working at Cinephile, uh, a lot of Mutual friends of ours are big fans mm -hmm. of the movie. Our friend Robert is a huge fan of the yep. movie. I watched it on home video. And then one time for his birthday, there was a screening of it at the Arclight in Pasadena. They had right. some sort of repertory screening. So we all went to see it for his birthday. So I've seen it a bunch of times. And I just recently purchased the digital version on iTunes because it was five dollars so couldn't afford not to couldn't afford not to because we didn't have it in our collection and it's a movie we enjoy yep so we actually watched it about a week ago and mm -hmm. then we had a spot to fill and I was like oh big trouble in little China is actually a tentpole trauma so we should do that so we watched it again which is good because I have a little bit of a hard time keeping certain elements of this movie straight I do too I think that I think this might be one of the the and again it's a film that I really enjoy and I know you do too but I think and we'll get into this but I think the fact of trying to keep things straight is part of maybe the problem with yes. the film. <laughs> I wouldn't call this an airtight script. Interestingly, the script began as a western, a sort of western that dealt with Chinese mysticism. And it was written by screenwriters Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein. And by the time it ended up in John Carpenter's hands, they decided to modernize it because they felt that nobody was going to be into a Western that took place in 1800 San Francisco mm -hmm. with Chinese wizards and stuff in it. So they brought in the screenwriter um, W.D. Richter. Okay. Who was the director of the film Buckaroo Banzai, mm -hmm. Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai in the Fifth Dimension, which is also a movie I know a lot of people love from the 80s. 
That movie I've always had a tough time with. Same. It's not not really for me. Yeah, but I can recognize some of that movie in this mm-hmm. movie. You could take a Venn diagram of people who love Big Trouble in Little China and Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, and it's pretty much a perfect circle, I would say. I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One day we may have to revisit Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai because I believe that was a huge bomb too okay but yeah i've never really been able to penetrate that one for whatever reason it just doesn't click with me same but maybe maybe now will be the time maybe now will be the time so that brings us up to 1986 and john carpenter's involvement now this movie was hurried out into theaters because the movie the golden child was in production at the time which dealt with a lot of similar themes the eddie murphy vehicle Mm -hmm. which i did see in the theater Uh, which also stars Charles Dance as the villain. and love love Charles Charles Dance. Dance. They were afraid that that was going to steal some of Big Trouble's thunder. In fact, John Carpenter was like, what are the chances that two movies dealing with like Chinese mysticism Mysticism. would show up in the same year? I mean, it happens all the time. Yeah, it's a Hollywood thing. Yeah. It just gets in the air. It gets in the air and people are like, oh, I want to make Dante's Peak and Volcano. You know, like it's, yeah. So anyway, they had to sort of hurry out Big Trouble in Little China. And ironically, they had offered Golden Child to John Carpenter, and he had turned it down. Mm. Golden Child was the more successful movie, but I would argue Big Trouble in Little China is now a more beloved cult classic. Didn't you say you watched Golden Child not too long ago, too, right? Didn't you watch it in the past couple of years? Yeah, I feel like you revisited it. And I feel like, if I'm remembering correctly, that you had said it didn't age very well. It didn't age very well, especially in regards to sensitivity issues. Right. And this movie actually, I think, does okay. I mean, obviously, just because it's from the 80s and it's dealing with a lot of Chinese mysticism and Chinese characters, there's a couple of off-color moments but they're really not that offensive and i don't know anybody who's asian that doesn't have at least some mild affection for this movie i don't know any asian people that are like oh that movie it insults me so it's actually held up pretty well i feel that john carpenter approaches it with respect and you can feel that even though there's some jokes that are you know like Egg Chen's bus is called like Egg Fu Young Tours or whatever. That's about as bad as it gets. There's no real making fun of Chinese people. No, and I, I mean, I, I don't even think that. I think that's more just about what life was like in San Francisco Chinatown. Right. At the it's time. more a statement on tourism. Right. That that's what he would put on his bus, cashing in on. You know, he's like leaning into this thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's pretty respectful overall, and it deserves kudos for that. Yes. That's about all we need to say about setting it up. Why don't we just get into the movie? Let's get into it. Now, I will say that right off the bat, I think the movie doesn't start off on a great foot because it gives you this strange opening scene where the character of Egg Shen, played by the famous Chinese character actor Victor Wong, who's great. And, and if you've seen any movies from the 80s that dealt with Chinese people, he shows up a lot. He's got this great kind of squinty look. He was an older gentleman even at the time, and he would be in Carpenter's next film, Prince of Darkness. But he's being interviewed by this lawyer and the lawyer's asking him questions about the events of the movie that you're about to see. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of trying to piece together what they're talking about. 
and he's asking about Jack Burton. Mm-hmm. And Egg Shen's like, well, don't blame Jack Burton for any of this. And then he starts asking him, you know, if he believes in demons and spirits and ghosts. And Egg Shen is like, oh, yes. And then he holds his hands up and this like lightning goes between his hands. Mm-hmm. So we see that, you know, magic is real and mm-hmm. he's some sort of wizard or magic user. But it's like a real head scratcher. I would have liked to have watched the director's commentary that's actually on the digital copy, Mm -hmm. which I plan to watch because I hear it's pretty fun. Uh, John Carpenter and um, Kurt Russell Russell get kind of drunk or something while they're watching the movie, I guess. It sounds like a good time. However, I was like, I bet there's something about this opening in the commentary. And I read on Wikipedia that Carpenter on the commentary says that the studio didn't understand the character of Jack Burton. They just couldn't get the movie. So he felt that he had to write some kind of opening intro that would help explain things better. But it doesn't. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I think if anything, it gives you more questions. Right. It doesn't. All it it is is getting egg saying, you know, like we owe a debt of gratitude to Jack Burton and, you know, he's not to blame for this. And, yeah, and the, and the the magic stuff comes up, and I mean, it's just, it's all over the map. Right, and not to jump ahead, but we might as well, if you think about that opening scene, and then you go to the end of the movie, it doesn't tie in at all, because Egg Shen isn't arrested or anything, or held responsible for the events of the movie, he, he goes, goes off, off to vacation. vacation. Yeah. Right, so since when did this lawyer come into play? Yeah. And, and why is anybody blaming Jack Burton for anything? Because he's not really the main character of the movie, ironically. No, there's so many other people involved. Yeah. Like, why single out Jack Burton? No, it doesn't really help you to understand things any better. And it doesn't really make sense if you take into consideration the movie. And then it doesn't even really tell you three days earlier or whatever. No. You're just thrown yeah, no right idea. into the movie after that. And it's like, huh? Yeah, it's... I feel like more, even for this one scene, probably more was there and then it was cut or something. And now it really doesn't make sense. Maybe. The one thing it does do is it sets up the concept that we're going to be dealing with magic. Magic. Yeah. Which is fine, but that comes into play pretty early on. Very early on. Right. So I don't feel like I needed that to accept the idea that there was going to be magic in this movie because that happens within like 20 minutes. So maybe they're just letting people have an out if they don't want to deal with magic right right at the get go. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it's a strange choice yeah. and one that I feel doesn't really work. No. But then what does work is we cut to our quote unquote hero, Jack Burton, as played by the great Kurt Russell, Mm -hmm. who we have now spoken about many times. It's another one of his great iconic performances. He's clearly drawing heavily from the John Wayne persona. He's kind of doing a riff on it. But he's not really doing John Wayne specifically. He's kind of using the John Wayne persona to give you an idea of how this character sees himself. Mm -hmm which I think is very clever because he sees himself as the main guy and the hero and he's really not. And that's what Russell said. That's how he described Jack Burton. He's like, Jack Burton is like a guy who thinks he's Indiana Jones, but he's not. He's the sidekick. 
And really, Dennis Dunn's character is the hero. Yeah. So I think it's a smart way to go to sort of craft a character. Yeah. It, he, we meet Jack Burton, and he's a, he's a truck driver, and he's coming in, and it's in a storm. And you can tell he's in San Francisco because we get him crossing, a good shot of him crossing the Golden Gate Bridge. And, you know, he's he's talking on his CB radio. Well, this is what Jack Burton thinks about this. And I'll tell you one thing. This is what you should do. And, you know, he's just got like very, um, yeah, he's, he's definitely doing a John Wayne thing. He's definitely very self-important. I mean, he's charming because it's Kurt Russell. But, yeah, he's, he's you can already tell we're dealing with a character here. Yeah, it's a very quotable role. I'm ashamed to admit, even though I've seen the movie now probably ten times, I can't quote him exactly. I'm sure there are people who could easily rattle off his quotes. I know he says, like, yes, sir, the check is in the mail. Yeah. Like, that's one of the things I remember from what he says in that opening monologue. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I can't quote him either. I'm sure our pal Robert can. Yes. Uh, yeah, it just it doesn't stick with me. But it's a lot of, I mean, he, you know, he actually, just because we recently watched Army of Darkness, it's a lot of ash. Yeah. And there, remind, I mean, I feel like characteristics. It's bluster and bravado yeah. without really having the... Can't back it up. Yeah, the, nece- <laughs> the necessary qualities to back it up. Like with Ash, you, you get the sense that he's physically capable. But with Jack, it's almost questionable if he's even physically up to the challenge he he does execute some moves here and there and apparently kurt russell like worked out and stuff yeah he did like a lot of running and training and and weightlifting he looks the part he, no, he looks, looks like part. a leading man no he looks the part and he's not a coward or anything i mean like he he should you know he's ready to show up but he just he doesn't have the the skills because he's being thrust into this world of like martial arts where people are like highly, highly yeah, skilled, skilled. Yeah. and he really can't measure up to any of them. So, yeah, we get our introduction of Jack Burton as a truck driver. Uh, we were sort of horrified to realize this time that it looks like he's carrying pigs to slaughter into San Francisco Chinese wet markets, which isn't an idea that's aged well in 2021. Perhaps I guess I should have understood that from the title of his, or the name of his truck, the Pork Chop Express. Right, you would have thought that I could have. Well, put and that same together. here because again I've seen this you know a dozen times, and it's just just today I was like, I think he's transporting pigs, yeah. and I was just like my heart just like sunk, and I was like, oh Jack, that makes sense. He ends up in this, yeah, with, in the wet market where they have all the the live animals, and it's you know yeah yeah it, it's it's yes it it totally tracks. It's two and two I never put in together until today because we were watching this so actively. I will say this. I have never really watched this movie that actively. It's a movie that I can put on and enjoy and it just kind of rolls by and I'm always enjoying what I'm seeing. But I... This was the first time I really was like, okay, I need to pay attention to like how things happen, why things happen. It was like the first time I've ever done that. Same. A hundred percent same. No, I've seen this so many times over the years, starting from whenever it aired, probably on, uh, starting on cable, back, probably back in 87 or so, whatever. I can't remember when it came out. The movie came out in 86, but I don't know when it showed up on TV. 87's a good guess. Probably, yeah. And so many times since then, but like that when you're catching things on tv too as it was back then it's like you catch them when you catch them so there's like certain parts of the film that i feel like i've seen a lot 
and then there's certain parts that like you know I kind of felt newer to me you know because I'm like oh I'm really paying attention this time because it's yeah it's a very for me it's the same thing it's a very passive film it's an enjoyable film but I can like be doing other things yeah and just kind of pick it up here and there and I, I know what the end result is and you know it's just it's just a fun time yeah but today yeah I was locked in today and it's it can be even challenging <laughs> when you're really paying attention <laughs> yeah so what happens is Jack pulls into San Francisco and meets his good buddy Wang let's <laughs> get that childish giggle out 12, of the way forever 12 his name is wang played by dennis dunn yep. and jack and wang are good friends jack likes to gamble with wang and his buddies his drinking buddies at the wet market and jack has a good night he wins a bunch of money and then wang goes double or nothing or he goes nothing or double actually yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly and he tries to cut this beer bottle in half with a blade that he has, and he is unable to do it. So now he owes Jack twice as much money, and he doesn't have it on him. So he's like, okay, you got to come with me into uh, town to, to my restaurant so I can get you the money. Important thing that happens here, too, is when he says he's going to cut the bottle. First, Jack is like, yeah, but you're going to cut my bottle, you know, and so he finishes his beer and gives him his beer bottle because he's suspect that maybe it's a trick or something like that. And when he fails at cutting the bottle, the bottle goes flying at Jack's face and he reaches up quickly and catches it. And we get, it's all in the reflexes. Right. He says that too in the beginning in the truck while he's talking on the CB. He's like, I, you know, my first wife said something, something, but I say it's all, oh, she's like, don't, don't drink and drive or whatever, or don't like drive too late. And it's all in the reflex, yeah. baby, or whatever. Yeah. So it's all in the reflexes is a checkoffs phrase where it's going to come back and mean something. But yeah, he catches the mm -hmm. bottle with his reflexes. That's right. And so on the way into town, Wang has to stop by the airport to pick up his Chinese bride who is arriving. She is a Chinese girl with green eyes, which is very unusual for Chinese girls. They've been sweethearts since um, they were kids mm -hmm. in China. She's finally moving here because he saved up enough money or whatever. Yep. So they're going to pick her up at the airport. And while they're on the way there, Wang says, oh, that must be why I wasn't able to cut the bottle because my mind and my spirit are yep. going in different directions. Yep. So we're getting a little bit of mysticism here. But I, I do want to say that I really like the portrayal Dennis Dunn does of Wang. He's a very relatable, not in any way cliche oh, no. kind of Chinese character. I think it's a positive portrayal, especially in the not so progressive 80s i i think so too i really i really like uh the portrayal i really like the character wang's great and it's a very endearing performance apparently um john carpenter had wanted jackie chan oh wow but i mean i think that dennis is great yeah he I is mean, great he is great but i mean i could see i could see jackie chan doing that well you know what actually though I would say that Jackie Chan, although he would have been amazing physically, it would have been a different conversation we'd be having right now because Jackie, as amazing and as talented as he is, he doesn't speak English that great. As, yeah. yeah. Even in the Rush Hour movies, no. which I watched all of them recently, he does a great job and, you know, all 
credit to him, I couldn't speak Chinese to save my life. So I'm not trying to diminish him in any way. But in those movies, he doesn't speak perfect English. No, I mean, that's actually written into the movie, though. It's part of Rush Hour is like right. that he is. English is his second language. Right. I'm just saying that I think what I like about the character of Wang is that he speaks perfect English. Yeah. He's not, there's no sort of other-ishness to him. You know, the fact that he's Chinese is addressed and is part of his character. It's sure. a very important part of his character, but it's not, oh, what a culture difference yeah. we have, well, which the Rush Hour movies are all about Well, that's that. all it is, is right. between him and Chris Tucker is just like how opposite they are. And, yeah. You know, how different they have grown up and, you know, things like that. Whereas like, well, I mean, Kurt Russell even says um, when they're playing cards, he was like, you know, I consider you a, a friend or a brother or something like that. He was like, you know, aside from having an ethnic difference, you know, we're both Californians, yeah. you know, and he's he's really he sees him as like and, and I don't want to say as a, as an equal because that sounds shitty. That's not what I mean. But, you know, he, he sees him as very relatable, I right. guess, someone he relates to, right. even though they're not of the same race or whatever. So they end up in the airport. And here's another part where I'm going to kind of give the movie a little bit of a hard time <laughs> because this whole setup is just weird. So Wang's going to get his green-eyed bride. Mm -hmm. I get that. But then we also have the character of Kim Cattrall introduced, Gracie Law, who is an attorney. I know. <laughs> Gracie Law, the attorney. I know. It's so great. Okay. And she is there to pick up a different Chinese girl who's arriving, who doesn't figure into the story at all. No. But Gracie Law also has green eyes, yep. which is very obvious. Like Kim Cattrall, I'm not sure what eye color she really has. I think she's there's blue or sure she doesn't have she doesn't have green eyes regularly no it's definitely she's wearing contact lenses. i mean yeah i couldn't remember what color her eyes are she either is brown or blue but you know her eyes are very clearly green they're setting up this idea right, that the there's girl with the green eyes the girl with the green eyes but the, all of that doesn't totally work for me because the whole point is it's special for a Chinese girl to have green eyes so for a white girl to have green eyes isn't some exotic special thing especially if you're blonde no right so on top of that there are these amazingly costumed asian gang members Tufts. who have some of the most silliest sunglasses i've seen in an 80s movie and that's saying something it's such ridiculous like we're bad guys outfits and yeah. and it's so yeah it's super 80s just these ridiculous shades the, sh the shirts they have on one guy has a shirt on that says like number one the costuming is is it's cartoonish it, yeah it's like cartoonish punk rock yeah. or something we're yeah it, it, exactly it looks like when like someone who has no idea what punk rock is is like we're going to have punks yeah. in this so they are there just to randomly kidnap cute asian girls oh I, I mean maybe but i think they're there because they kind of say it in passing later that like it wasn't something that was directed by lopan or whatever yeah. it was just like they were there just to screw around and just like be menaces or something because they're like this they're this bad gang yeah. or whatever they're the i can't remember what the gang's name is something like dragon something or another or yeah let's not even bother trying to, there's <laughs> there's a lot of names let's just put yeah. it up front here 
if you're a huge Big Trouble in Little China fan and it's going to annoy you that we don't have all of the names of everything committed to memory, we apologize. Yes. Definitely not going to hit all those names. No, so not at all. Uh, you may want to lower that expectation of us Get it low. as you're listening. <laughs> Take it down low. <laughs> it's a gang. It's a gang and it's a bad gang. They're bad and I don't know what their name is. And it's funny because... Every time I watch this movie, I just assume they're working for Lo Pan because they kidnap Wang's lady. Mei Lin. But that's not where they're taking her, as we will find out. Yeah, it was clear on this viewing for sure that they were not working for Lo Pan. I mean, I think because they're bad, like they probably do stuff for him at other times. Sure. But this particular thing was like on their own. This wasn't from him. There's a lot of sort of politics hinted at among the Chinese gangs and stuff in this movie. And I definitely don't have it all worked out. So let's just forgive ourselves of that. Because I know at certain points it's disgusting. It's just like I can never truly follow it. Malin is captured. They go on this chase after her into the garage. But the um, Asian gang gets away with her. Well, in the meantime, too, you, you, you brought this up. Up. it's like we, we meet kim cattrall wang is like because wang's looking for i think it's maylin is her name yeah Does that sound right no, okay that's yeah. Right, yeah um i think it also means i was looking it up it means cat-like which okay. is interesting that's what the she the, does look cat-like right well especially having the green eyes too mm-hmm. you know yeah so that's how we're introduced to her and and so wang's looking for his girl at the airport and that's when jack spots gracie wang says she has green eyes and Jack's like, how can you tell from here? Because he thinks he's talking about Kim Cattrall. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, no. And he's like, not her. She's trouble. Yeah. So, like, it's established that Wang knows who Gracie is. But Gracie's there to pick up this other girl, Tara, or something like that her name is, who I feel like also gets kind of manhandled by this group of toughs. But they're not, they're not taking her. She's just like, it, it's like a big kerfuffle. I don't know. There's stuff going on. It makes no sense. Like, they're just both there picking up. Chinese girls for different reasons. Yes. And then a gang swoops in and kidnaps one of them. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's all I think you really need to know, but it's certainly not... Airtight. Airtight. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you could clean up a lot of this and just get to the point quicker. There's a lot of things in this movie that just feel overcomplicated. Even in terms of characters, I feel like we kind of have too many characters when it gets into the the main action of it, but I'll talk about it uh, when I get there. Another thing, too, just to comment on, is there because there's many people who probably have watched this movie now at this point or are fans of this, I didn't know that you used to be able to go to an airport like that. Right. You know, it's like it's it's still I mean, it's been 20 some odd years, you know, but it's still like it's weird. It's just so not the way things are anymore. No. And and also to see like how they just like take off through like these emergency doors and are like running yeah. out of the airport and stuff. That... Yeah, I think it was probably not <laughs> quite that loose. Even sure. Then. Yeah. I mean, it's a little looser, but not that loose. Yeah. So after that, they go back to um, well, they go to Chinatown. And we're introduced to Egg Chen in the movie, even though we've already met him. But he's driving his tour bus and we're seeing him do a tour through the city, establishing himself as a quirky, interesting character. I think we also need to take a moment here um, to recognize that we're getting around San Francisco and jack's 18 wheeler right now granted he's offloaded his cargo but he still has this giant cab and it's you know it's it's an 18 wheeler right and it's been i mean if you've driven 
or seen San Francisco before, I mean, I had trouble navigating it when I had a Honda Accord. Well, and it gets even crazier <laughs> so. than that because they're driving down the street and then um, Wang's like, turn right here, yeah. turn right here. And he, like, he almost hits Egg Shen's bus. Right. And then he turns into this tiny little alleyway alley. and then drives through the alleyway. And then we're in this like alleyway set. And it's a really funny scene because we're going into our first kind of action scene. But our main characters do not participate. No. In this action scene. Nope. They remain in this truck. And first we see a funeral procession by a group of Chinese people. I don't want to call them a gang, but they're like a group. We're all wearing similar clothes. Yeah. And they, I mean, they, and they have a name. And again, forgive us. We can't remember yeah, what it is. I don't remember what their name but is. But they seem to be, well, I, I do know, I remember Wang says they're good guys. Yeah, he says they're good guys. They're yeah. wearing yellow, yellow and, and like white. Yeah, they've got like white headbands. Yeah. Wang clearly delineates them as the good guys. Yes. And they are carrying a coffin. Yeah, and like a, a big like portrait of the person who's died. Yes, yeah, so it's like yeah. a Chinese funeral yeah, procession. Yeah. procession. And then in the opposite direction comes another gang. And Jack says like, what about these guys with red turbans or whatever? <laughs> like some of them have red turbans, but they basically have black and red outfits. So we've got clearly color coded white and gold and black and red. One of the guys in that gang is another famous Chinese actor who shows up in a lot of um, movies. He, the guy with long hair. Yeah. I think it's Jeff Amada. He's just somebody who you see in a lot of movies, but he's not really a character. He's just one of the gang members here. So these two Kangs face off against each other and like Wang even says like, we've got like a Chinese standoff yep. here or whatever. And then we get a big martial arts street battle. It's I, I'm of two minds because on one hand, I appreciate the action going on and I appreciate that John Carpenter is trying his hand at a martial arts action movie, which is clearly what he wants to do. However, I think that his action filmmaking here is just okay. Considering it's supposed to be martial arts, it's not super spectacular, especially in this first fight. People are doing what they're supposed to be doing and kicking and punching and doing all that stuff, but I'm not blown away. Like, I'll use the example of um, when Quentin Tarantino decided to take on martial arts and do Kill Pill Part One, mm -hmm. whatever you think of that movie, that House of Blue Leaves fight sequence is amazing. Yeah. He really studied martial arts cinema and he really got a really amazing. 20 minutes of fight choreography and he obviously worked with great choreographers and all that but here I don't feel like Carpenter is really rising to the challenge of martial arts fight like no martial arts fight fan is going to look at this movie and go oh yeah great martial arts fights well I mean sorry to jump ahead but I will say the martial arts fight at the end it's better for is sure way better yes and I mean sure Carpenter could have Put a little bit more into this but i kind of feel like there's just so much going on in this film yeah i'm not surprised neither am i let down that it's not that great i'm like it's fine because there's a lot going on here yeah i just i, I hear what you're saying i'm not i'm not considering it's supposed to be a martial arts film to some degree 
the actual martial arts fighting is just okay. And especially... I would never consider this... This is supposed to be a martial arts film? Well, I mean, that's part of what's going on, for yeah. sure. I, I think, actually, as I was watching this today, again, with, like, really razor-sharp focus... I was thinking to myself, what is this film supposed to be? Martial arts did not come to mind, but I, I mean, it does play heavily throughout it. But I was thinking like, it's kind of Indiana Jones horror, sort Chinese of. mysticism. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I think you could <laughs> no. argue that whatever this movie is, they didn't quite crack it. Well, no, or, I mean, or, you know, or know how to get it marketed properly or something. I mean, whatever. But uh, anyway, those uh, this is just the thought. I, I'm just telling you, I was watching it earlier today and I'm thinking like, well, how would I describe this to somebody? Do you think that might have maybe played into been. why it didn't do so well? I, yeah. I don't know. I think it might have, Sebby. Well, let me move on from being a little harsh on this initial fight to my delight when the characters known as the Three Storms show up. Yes. These are wizards or some sort of supernatural beings that literally come floating out of the sky and they have like superpowers, basically. Yep. They're awesome costumed characters. They've got these cool bamboo hats. And if you're a fan of Mortal Kombat, the game or the movies, the character of Raiden in the Mortal Kombat game was heavily influenced from these characters. Well, I think these characters are also influenced from actual like Chinese folklore or something like that. Yeah. 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 But specifically the guy that can kind of harness lightning and shoot lightning. His name is uh, Lightning, Lightning, I believe. (laughs) Well, there's also Thunder is another one. Yeah. Yeah. That is directly plagiarized in Mortal Kombat. These guys show up and they start just wreaking havoc with their superpowers and their fighting abilities. I will say this as a sort of compliment to counteract my negative comment. I feel like the special effects in this movie for the mid 80s are good. I agree. Like they hold up like even some of the weird stuff we see later. I feel like the special effects work here is strong. I 100% agree because we're not too far away from turning the corner to really bad special effects that are coming like in the early 90s right. too. So for this time, absolutely. I think I think the effects are great. Yeah, I'll take these sort of goofy 80s well done special effects over bad 90s poorly done special effects. Lawnmower man. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but yeah, so the the three storms show up. They start using their powers. And it, one thing that's a little confusing is we're later going to learn that they are the agents of Lopan. In fact, Lo, we're going to see Lopan for the first time in a matter of moments. But they seem to be going after both of the gangs. And one of the gangs is on Lopan's side, the bad guys. Yep. When I was watching it this time, I'm like, okay, so are these gangs neither gang related to Lopan? But no, the black and red gang, they're Lopan's guys. Well, because so. all bad things are going to be right. going to big bad Lopan. So it's a little inconsiderate of Lopan to unleash his magical warriors on his own people. That's Lopan. Yeah, so the three storms are there and they're fighting and we're getting special effects stuff and they're flying through the air and doing wire work and stuff and that's all fun. And Jack is trying to get his truck out of this cramped alleyway 
and he starts driving towards this. Well, he's driving towards the the storms. The, the storms, the, the, yeah. The thunder, lightning, and the other guy. Yeah, and then this ghastly sort of <laughs> tall Asian man appears in like white makeup and a crazy headdress and a robe kind and of everything. Like an emperor or something. Yeah, he looks like a undead emperor. Yes. <laughs> And this is the character of Lo Pan, or at least his spiritual incarnation. Mm -hmm. And Jack runs him over with the truck. And then he backs up, and then Lo Pan is still there. Yes. And that really freaks Jack out. I mean, he's freaked out already by the supernatural beings, but this really gets to him. And Lo Pan is our main villain. Our big bad. And he is played by the wonderful... James Hong, yep. who is probably one of the most well-known Chinese actors of the time. I he shows so. up in almost every movie where there's Asians in the 80s and 90s. Great actor. And I will say this, over the many viewings of this film, every time I watch it, I love Lo Pan more and more. <laughs> Lo Pan's great. And Lo, Ham, Lo Pan has got jokes. Yeah, he's hilarious. <laughs> I just love... A good villain who like can just because his like his humor he's he's hilarious but it's like it's it's very subtle and yeah. it's like a lot of things that are like not very it's just kind of you you might not catch it on the first viewing of like some of the things he says and yeah. you know just kind of his, some of his mannerisms and stuff well you're supposed to be really afraid of him because you know he's this super powered like sorcerer or something but at the same time He's got this really strange sort of giddy person. Yeah, he likes to giggle and <laughs> yeah. sort of titter. Yes. And he just the delivery is just sort of quirky and yeah. fun. Yeah. Every time he's on screen, he's just so watchable and enjoyable. And I love both versions we get of him. Yes. I love this like seven foot tall emperor demon or whatever he's supposed to be and then i love later when we get his human form his two thousand year old human <laughs> yeah, form yes. that's like doesn't have flesh or whatever yeah. it's like so gross yeah whatever form he's in james hong is a delight he sure is and he's one of the high points of this movie Absolutely. i would say for sure they go back to um wang's restaurant and we're introduced to his uncle i think that's when his friend Eddie shows up. Yeah, Eddie's like the, works the at the restaurant. Or, yeah. yeah, he's like the the Mater D and and more or whatever. And he's he seems like a, a, a he's a character and a good guy and knows what's going on. Like he already knows like everything that's happened. Yeah, like not even hearing it from them. Yeah. Like he already, like the word is out on the street yeah. what happened. <laughs> yeah. And Jack's like in like this Asian fancy robe kimono type kimono. of robe. Yeah, is that then? It's something like that. It's well, because I think because I just remember him trying to call his yeah. insurance company to get his truck. Right. Yes. Oh, because well, that's right. Because they they are running because they they leave his truck and they're running around and they go into this building with like some of the, for lack of a better term, the the uh, not bad gang, the good guys gang, were like in there and they like go through like garbage and stuff right, and like are right. trying to escape because the bad guys are coming after them yep. and he gets kind of gross. Yes. So I think that would make sense why he's. This is a perfect example of the sort of connective tissue yeah. between scenes that I always sort of forget about. Yeah, they go crawling through this like gross little crawl space right. full of garbage. And then that then they're back at Wang's place. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, Jack's trying to like 
calling a claim for his truck and he's like eh, you know having problems of course i don't know my my insurance number it's in the truck and, blah, 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 and all the stuff and then gracie law swoops in yes. uh, and you know what is she doing here and so she's got the scoop that you know may lynn was taken by accident it wasn't part of lopan's thing by this gang who like kidnapped her from the airport and they've just sold her off at the white tiger which is like a, a brothel. It's yeah. a Chinese brothel. Yeah. But it, I just wanted to say the thing about Wang's restaurant, and it's not even, we're not even in the front no, of the restaurant. No, we're like in like the house, like kind of back of the house. Yeah, like but the like literally, like, whatever. It, well, yeah, but it kind of feels like there might be living quarters sure. back there too or something. It doesn't feel like you're in a restaurant. We never all. see the front of his restaurant as far uh, as I'm concerned. Or I we think... don't see the dining room anyway. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's kind of like a sitcom apartment yes. because yes. people are just wandering in. in, uninvited, don't knock. Gracie Law just shows up, doesn't knock. It's very much like Seinfeld. Yes. <laughs> just coming into Jerry's. And it feels also too, like it's funny because you say that because I was kind of feeling like almost like it kind of is like a play at that yeah. point too, where people just because and especially Kim Cattrall's like performance at that time, she's just kind of over the top as a character. Yeah, she's doing that kind of heightened, almost like if, if she was doing a take on like a Lois Lane type mm -hmm. of reporter character, which is confusing. Yes. <laughs> because she is not a reporter. She's not the reporter. She's a lawyer yes. who's like advocating for like Chinese citizens rights something like or that. something. Yeah. And we're going to get a re female reporter. Yes. We get this other character, Margo. Margo. Played by an actor named Kate Burton, who I don't really know from anything. I don't know anything. from anything else. Yeah. So we get this other character that is the reporter that's like working with Gracie. And the writer in me is just like, just make this one character. <laughs> well, apparently Gracie has been working with Margot because she's been trying to get any member of the press interested in something that's been going on, like with Lopin or sure. just like stuff going on in the Chinese community. And Margot's like this Berkeley beat reporter or something like it's not even she's not big time. She's just trying to get her big break. Yeah. All of that is fine. I'm yeah. just I still am like just make, make her one, one person. Character. I know. I hear you. This is the movie that we're getting. So I will put that aside. Yeah. So they figure out that Maylin has been taken to the White Tiger. So they've got to figure out a way to get in there. And so they devise this plan. <laughs> Solid. In which... Jack is going to go up dressed as this sort of nerdy salesman or whatever who's looking for a green-eyed Chinese prostitute, I guess. We've been calling her Mei Lin. It's Miao Yen. Are you sure? Yep. All right. Well, whatever. Miao Yen. <laughs> We're terrible with names. If one thing you can know for sure on Tentpole Trauma is that we're going to butcher a name. This isn't the first time. We called um, the character in Flash Gordon, that's Kala Kaya, Kaya, the whole I know. podcast. I know. Which I'm sure somebody was like Someone screaming. Someone hates us so much out there for that. I'm sorry. We're imperfect beings. Meow Yen, which makes sense that that would be cat-like because it kind of sounds like meow, right? Right. Well, you caught it and now we've corrected it. I mean, it. I caught it an hour in or whatever <laughs> i'm sorry everyone but yeah just we're it's not just names that have uh, that have chinese like relation to them it's all names we screw up white people's names too all the time okay so they've got to go save meow yen from this brothel so jack has uh, made himself up like a 
salesman or something. And fun fact, I was reading in the trivia earlier about this getup, which I commented while we were watching this, that it he Kurt Russell, the way he looks at this point, looks like he did when he was doing Disney films. <laughs> he's just like super kind of nerdy looking. So he has like this, um, like he looks like a salesman. Right. And he's got like these nerdy kind of used cars. outfit. Yes. Yes. He used his outfit from used cars. That makes sense. He totally looked like he looked in used cars. Yeah. He don't think he had the glasses in used cars, did he? Uh, He might have. We only saw used cars for the first time like a year ago. Oh, yeah. I thought that was funny. Anyway. So, yeah, he's dressed in like this, his outfit from used cars and these big, thick glasses. He's got his hair kind of slicked back. And off he goes off into the brothel and he's going to try to get Yao Yen. Yen. <laughs> but the, he he says to the madam, you know, I want a Chinese girl with green eyes. And she's like, there are no Chinese girls with green eyes. And then so she just goes she's off to off. The, yeah. the room where Miao Yen is being kept and does not offer her up. And poor Miao Yen is is just tied up. So Miao Yen is played by an actress named Susie Pai. Pei? Pei, something. And it's a bit of a thankless role, I'm going to say, because she doesn't really even get a full line, I don't think, in the whole movie. Mm-mm. We hear her sort of scream and say a few words here and there near the end, but she doesn't actually say anything for most of the movie nope. at all. Mm-mm. So it's a bit of a thankless role. She's very pretty, though. Yes. She's being tied up in this back room, and um, Jack is not given her, and he just has this awkward conversation with the prostitute he is uh, given. (laughs) But before anything too awkward can happen, there is a big green light in the sky, and... The uh, three storms come bursting in through the roof of the brothel and steal away Miao Yen. So now Lo Pan finally has Miao Yen in his grips. This whole thing has been just basically a side quest. Well, and it felt like at first, because we also were in San Francisco, it seemed like it could be an earthquake when the the big green thing opens. Another fun trivia fact for this scene is, um, because I did notice this as well, Kurt Russell's really sweaty in this scene. Apparently, he was suffering through a bad case of the flu at this time. So that sweat is real. That's from the flu. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, I thought they just made him sweaty or because it was also was raining outside, too. So I wasn't sure what was going on, but he's definitely like glistening. But it's flu sweat. Well, it looks good on screen. I know. Sure does. <laughs> he suffered for his art. He suffered for us. OK, so here's where things start to get a little bit hazy for me, even though we just watched the movie a second time less than an hour ago. <laughs> They've lost Miao Yan. They regroup at the restaurant. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty funny scene just in the sense that a lot of we get a lot of exposition here from both Gracie and the Margot character. And it's done in the most sort of like obvious way. They're like, oh, you mean so-and-so imports the home of the most dangerous Chinese gang in all of uh, Chinatown. Like they both have lines that are just obvious exposition lines, but it's almost like they're doing it satirically Uh because they know they have Have to to get get it out. Yes. Like it it feels tongue in cheek because it's so obvious, or maybe I'm just reacting to something that was a normal thing to do in the eighties. And I'm 
think that they're doing it intentionally when they were. I don't know. It feels like they are. Yeah. It, it feels like they it's tongue in cheek a little bit. So they basically figure out they've got to go to like Wing Something Imports, which is owned by David Lopan, mm-hmm. the human version of Lopan. Jack and uh, Wang like sneak them away in as like repairmen or something. Yes. Telephone repairman, I believe. Because he's like, Kurt Russell's carrying a phone, like an actual like rotary phone right. in his hand. Yeah. And they sneak their way in and this is where they end up captured and kept in this room where they're blindfolded. The guy who plays Thunder susses them out. He figures out that they're not who they say they are or whatever. Well, they go into an elevator and I mean, there, there's cameras everywhere. They figured out who they are. They've, the elevator fills up with salt water. That's right. Yeah. So they're like... They ha- they're forced to like open the doors and swim out and there's like all these dead bodies. That's a cool shot. It's yeah. a really cool shot. There's a lot of like dead bodies that are like chained yep. in this room. And yeah, they end up getting captured, I believe by Thunder. Yes. Yeah. And then they're tied up and blindfolded, but somehow Jack's able to remove his stuff. I don't know if he, how he's undone himself or whatever, but yeah. when Thunder comes back, you know, he's like putting his stuff back on and he also has his knife, like I think in his boot or yep. something like that. So then he um, tries to attack Thunder and it goes poorly. And luckily um, Wang is way more skilled of a fighter. Um, so he kind of like at least gets Jack to have another chance to like get, a knife up against thunder's neck yeah and then eddie is there too because like thunder has brought in eddie eddie and gracie and And margo came in after they were like on the we saw them on the tv screen or whatever and they've all they've all been captured now too yeah i just watched this too and i'm like wait i think they had already gone like in their like kind of makeshift wheelchairs to meet lo pan that already happened because then they saw the tv screens and that's when they saw margo and gracie and Eddie coming in. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Something happened. I don't know. Forgive us. They somehow went and uh, are meeting with, they meet Lopan, very old Lopan. This is yeah. like a Lopan with not his skin. Yeah. And he's like gross in the best way, like just liver spots and just kind of reminds me of um, nothing but trouble kind of a little bit. Well, and he's explaining that he needs the Chinese girl. The blood of the Chinese girl is going to let him have his body back again. Well, because he used to marry her and then sacrifice her to the demon god that he of right. the east or something that he worships right he sold his soul to or whatever yeah whatever so that's what's going on there and he's trying to like get information out of wang about his lady and you know and poor jack's like giving him shit and he was like why don't you ask her low pan you know and just, just really like this is a bunch of shit and just you know yeah. just being jack the jack sort of bravado yeah and, you know, he loves to say stuff like, well, you know what Jack Burton, Burton would say, say. Yeah. like, or whatever. So all that's happening. Lopan looks over to, like, he has multiple TVs throughout the place. And that's what he was like, who are these people? This is that. This really like, ticks me off or yeah, something. He yeah, says. yeah. Yeah. Another really <laughs> funny Lopan moment because he's just a great little creep. So, yeah, then somehow it's it's Jack and Wang and Eddie all in this, like 
holding area yeah. and the the ladies have been taken to another place yeah and we get a comical moment where jack is on this wheelchair yes. thing and he ends up like rolling down like this ramp backwards and backwards down a ramp and he almost goes into this well. like well but he's just teetering on the edge he's hanging on the edge a lot of comical sort of hijinks Let's forgive ourselves if we get things out of sequence here because I feel it's really hard to keep these it's events fine. in sequence. We'll just speak about the things that happen and we'll enjoy them and it won't really matter in what order they happened. It How won't. about that? We'll just enjoy the ride. If you're really pedantic about this movie and you really want to hear it spoken in perfect <laughs> chronological order, we apologize. But uh, it's really hard to keep it in order Let in us our know brains. On all of our socials. Maybe it's our brains that's the problem. <laughs> Maybe it is. But like we are both sober as judges. Totally. We've watched caffeinated. It, caffeinated, and we still have trouble keeping it in our brains. And big trouble keeping it in our brains. So yeah, they've got to save uh, Gracie and Margot, yep. who are in this like penned area. And so the guys show up and there's these women gang members guarding the pen. And we get a fun fight on this like bridge over a warehouse space. And Jack has to sneak into where the pens are. And he's like climbing on top of the pens and he finds Margot, and she's like, are you going to save us or something? And he's like, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like probably the most honest Jack Burton moment in the entire film he's not even certain he's gonna be able to do that no. the women fighters are using like tonfas which are these stick weapons that i really like it's a fun scene and they even have like at one point they like kind of open them up and like some like powder gas comes out mm-hmm. but the heroes prevail and they rescue the all the women all the women that are pinned up which yep. is cool that's something that i actually for better or for worse i know there's like a gazillion people in this film but I do appreciate that it's like they did the right thing. They broke all of these poor women out of these cages and they're like getting everybody out. There's definitely a sort of human trafficking element yeah. to this that is maybe a little uncomfortable in the modern age, mm-hmm. just in the sense that I think they were sort of playing it for laughs back then. And I don't think anybody would find that terribly funny no. anymore. No. <laughs> it's not really funny to see women in cages. No. But anyway, it's not a huge part of the no, movie. No, not at all. But they do get everybody out. Yes. And then they, what? They jump into this, like, questionable pool that's, like, kind of greenish looking. Yeah. And, like, everybody's just because they're being chased. And so they just all, like, these scantily clad women, also, like, in, like, their, like, 90s or whatever. The whole gang is there. Margot and Gracie and, and Eddie and Wang and Jack. And, and this whole, there's a scene. So, like, everybody's jumping in and they're swimming through this, like, pipe. And there's this, this scene where, uh, when this is happening, where, you know, Kim Cattrall gets through and Gracie gets through and, like, she keeps pulling people up and she's like, so-and-so. And then it's like, where's so-and-so? And I don't know. Because everyone's just trying to swim along. And then well, she should be like, where's Wang? I don't know. And then the next person will yeah. be Wang. And she'll be like, where's, where's Jack? Jack? I, don't I don't know. know. And then the next person's Jack. And then she and Jack make out. Right. And he's like, why do you have to be so close to me or making it hard for me to concentrate yeah. or whatever? Yeah. So, yeah, we're establishing the sort of will they, won't they romance between Jack and Gracie, which isn't really a big part of the movie and doesn't come to much. But mm. it's it's fun. It's fun. It's, fun. it's really fun. You know, I appreciate how where it goes or where it doesn't go, I guess. 
And I find Kurt Russell and Kim Cattrall very attractive, so I don't have any problem with them uh, as a couple. I think they're a cute couple. They're a cute couple, and they remind me of Harrison Ford and Kate Capshaw, but are more likable. I mean, I, lo- I love Harrison Ford, but Kate Capshaw's kind of a lot. Yeah. And Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom. <laughs> oh, Gracie Law is nowhere near as no, annoying as no. Willie Not at all, Scott. but there's kind of a similar, no. you know, like dynamic between them. As oh, I absolutely funny. see yeah. what you're saying. But yeah, Kim Cattrall's character is so much less grating. No, of course. And she's way more independent and can take care of herself and isn't so like, you know, but that's Kate Capshaw's character and that is where she's like, ah, I'm this actress, you know, and like, help me, help me. Side note, I love Kim Cattrall. She's not in the new Sex in the City, so I say fuck that. And I say ditto. Yeah. Because without Samantha, who cares? Exactly. So, yeah, they swim through this gross tunnel. And they then... get out. They're in, like, the sewer system. Yes. So they figure out, like, Wang alerts them to this. He was like, we're in, like, we, this, this is where the fresh water comes in. This is where the seawater comes in. He's like, I think that's where we came in up there. So Kurt Russell climbs up. And then everybody's, like, all of a sudden up, which is fine. I don't need to see everybody climbing the ladder. But that was a lot of people to get up quickly. But that that's fine. And then he's like, yeah, this is where we came in. And he was like, there should be offices on the other side of this door. It's going to seem very normal. Because that is where they came in. There was, like, a security desk. And, you know, it's like a business front. And he opens the door. And there's, like, all these big bads there. Mm-hmm. You know, this gang. And he's like, shit. And he's like, closes the door. And he's like, we, you know, we can't go through here. And he's like, they only saw me. Everybody hide. So they start like, and then of course our hero, our real hero, Wang is like, I'll fight with you, you know, two of us against the world type thing, Jack. And so he's there and then like Jack's trying to like get his gun to work or get his knife or something like he's totally futzing around. First, I think he does shoot everybody, but then his gun like stops working or something. And then like Wang proceeds to like kick everybody's ass. Yeah. While Jack's, like, trying to, like, get his shit together. Is this the first time Jack shoots somebody and they're like, is that the first yeah, time you ever capped someone? I think, I think that's <laughs> yeah. what Eddie says. Yeah. And he's like, of course not. Yeah. You know, but it is. You can tell it is. It is. He's shocked that he shot yeah. somebody. But then, like, he drops his gun or something. He's fumbling. He's doing his, like, fumbling deal. And he's, like, so not present. And it's just Wang, like, kicking everyone's ass. Yeah. Being the hero. Anyway, they get out. I think Egg's bus is outside. Right. Yep. So they, yeah, they they're get they're getting out into the bus, except we see like there's some sort of Asian statue or something. Yeah, against like, the wall. Against the wall that has like doing that thing where the eyes change out yep. like, and you know like how it does with paintings or whatever in scooby-doo right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and the eyes change to like these weird orange eyes mm-hmm. so then kim cattrall uh, gracie like leans in and then we see her grabbed by these not human arms yeah it's like this creature that is a, a monster that just seems to be roaming free in lopan's lair yeah, he's like a cross of some sort of like Sasquatch kind of looking thing, but then also kind of looks like reminds me of what's the in the segment of Creep Show? Oh, the crate. And the crate kind of like a little bit. You know like, what else he kind of reminds me of, which came out around the same time is the Creatures and Fright Night. He's got like a big smiley kind of oh, the big, mouth. Yeah. yeah. And, but he looks like kind of like an orangutan, yeah. but with like a monster face. Like, a, you know, he's like some sort of demon. Yeah. We're never really given a really solid sure explanation. We're never really sure what he is, but he's orange. 
He's orange and he's and a kind monster. Kind of hairy, and he's got like this, yeah. For an '80s creature suit monster, I think he's great. I think he's totally great. Yeah, like he's fun to look at and he's scary. I don't fully understand his place in the story, no, but... but I just know we're dealing with weird shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, and anything can happen here. So she gets snatched by him, but nobody notices because it's all chaos, and everybody's just trying to get on Egg's bus to get out. When then that's when you know he's like, "We got out," and they were like, "You know, where's Miao Yen?" And they're and you know Wang's like, "We didn't get her." And then like Jack's like, "Where's Gracie?" Cut to Gracie getting dragged away by this thing. Yeah. So this whole mission has been a failure. Yeah. They have not. Not only did they not get Miao Yen, but they lost Gracie. So. Yeah. Not very successful. Nope. So then they regroup again, right? I think you'll have something to say about this as a writer, because as a viewer who's not a writer, I don't really like going back to the same place. Yeah, it becomes a sort of thing that is hard to avoid, especially when you have only so much money and you have to kind of keep things locked down to as few sets as you can manage it's a it's a budget restrictions thing usually you know it's why sitcoms always revolve around the same three places it's why horror movies do so well when they're single location because it's just cheaper it's just the way to keep things inexpensive and which is fine but it's the fact that we have to go back there is what it is. Like, yeah. it's, it's like I do appreciate that at least when we go back there this time, we take a different route to get there. We go underground right. like of Chinatown and go through that whole like spooky, like there's a random monster in there, too, because they do the whole suit up with egg and he has like a whole crew and yeah. they go to egg's place and he owns like the whole block or something. Yeah. Wang Sane and he's got like all kinds of like sorcery type things happening in there and he's getting his stuff together and takes him in through his his place there's like um you know like a, a pole that slides down right, it's like a fireman's pole fireman's pole that like slides down into what seems like the sewer system or but just the underground of chinatown but it's like yeah it's it's super creepy and i like the way it looks and there's like you know it's like this black water or whatever it's like bubbling and there's a lot of like smoke and smog and very cavernous looking. Yeah. And then one of the guys even gets snatched by a monster that comes out of the wall. Right. That giant <laughs> fish creature yeah. type of thing. Yeah. And like Jack's like, what is that? What is that? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. yeah, Jack wasn't ready for that. None of it. Yeah. And they're just like, oh, this is this what happens in Chinatown. Right. And Egg also has like these magic marbles or something that he throws they're like magic grenades or something yeah. so yeah i do appreciate that they are going to a different place i wouldn't mind if they never left that place it's the fact that like i think it's even more just because i'm like i don't want to fucking go back there like we just barely got out of there i know we got to go back and help our friends but this sucks i like you know what you're getting into i think is what it is what it does is it creates a feeling of that you're not really moving forward i think that's what you're reacting to that's probably what it is it creates that feeling where it's hard to put it into 
chronological order too because you're like is this the part when they okay was this after when they go back and yeah. okay now they've gone back and you know and the poor like older uncle character is just hanging out at the restaurant yeah. you know like parsing out wisdom or whatever and at one point like him and egg are like having a conversation where they're talking about Lopin and his history and you know they're they're filling in the sort of magical backstory elements yeah. but you know you feel like at that point, you're like, I know everything I need to know. I don't need to just kind of be coming back here. And we should also say that Eddie and Margot stay behind. And there's sort of a hinted little romance, romance there. there, too. Yeah. So now we're heading into our climax. And what's going on here is that Lopan, because they both have green eyes, he figures, well, why don't I marry both of them? And there's this weird sort of scene where the three storms all perform these sort of martial arts moves in front of them. And then they take this sword that's glowing or something. And both Gracie and Mao Yen, who seem to be sort of entranced and yes. don't have a will of their own at this point, grab onto the sword. And then the sword is lifted up to the ceiling. Yes. And, and it they, does something on well, the. And they touch like this what looks like a light bulb or right. something the ceiling <laughs> yeah. but it has like green eyes yes and it lights up when they touch it yeah. but and the sword is supposed to be like heated sword or something like that yeah um and they like the test is could they hang on to it right and they both do so that's when he's like i'm marrying them both right but his plan is to because he's got to still sacrifice someone to the demon god yeah so he's going to uh, sacrifice gracie and then keep Miao yen for all of his earthly pleasures or something like that something yeah. gross that's what's happening there so he's decided he tells the the storms that they need to prepare them for the the wedding ceremony and so the wedding ceremony is taking place in this awesome sort of big set that's got all this cool sort of statue big dragon statues and a big skull podium or like that they're on yeah they're like, they come through like the mouth of a skull or yeah. something it's it's great like this is like if you if i was thinking as i was watching this today i'm like this is what you put your money into like yeah. this is great this whole set is really fun it's so perfectly 80s too because there's this sort of twin runner of neon yeah. that's like around the edge and around the skull right yeah which, which looks great yeah it's like, like this green makes neon. no sense but it looks Who awesome cares? it's a real strength of uh 80s sort of fantasy stuff that this was before we got really pedantic about having to have everything be totally logical and based in reality so sets like this would just be crazy and there would be things in them that yeah it doesn't make sense why would they have this in here or whatever but who cares? It looks awesome. And I feel like this part of the movie and this set in particular, when we were talking earlier about there being a music video, I feel like yeah. this is what's in it because it looks like yes. what would be in a music video. <laughs> looks like Motley Crue should be like playing yes! on a stage. They even had a video. They did. They're too young to fall in love. Yeah. Yeah. They should totally be playing on stage at the wedding. Oh, we forgot before they enter into the this very cool room where the ceremony is like taking place and all the, the baddies are there like for the ceremony is that Egg has everybody take a drink. He brought like this special like flask of we don't really know what it is, but it's something special that and I thought it was really cute that like whatever room they're in, Egg gets behind the bar. I loved that. I do too. <laughs> that was something that I really appreciated on this watch. Just that 
strange little scene. It was like moments like that that this time I enjoyed the yeah. most where I was like, this is quirky and weird and I'm just appreciating that this is in the movie. And I feel like those moments are the type of things that makes this movie so beloved to yes. people. Yes. I mean, obviously, it, a big part of that is Kurt Russell's performance because it's so quirky and unusual and it's not what you're expecting it to be. I think that that scene is indicative of a quality that the movie have that I think is really endearing to people and why they love it so much. I love that scene. I think it's great. And they all like, so he's like playing bartender and he pours everybody like this smoky drink and everyone just, you know, they just drink it. Then they, they show the next scene as they... Well, they're in this elevator, elevator that only goes down and they're all like, oh yeah, I feel really good. I feel kind of invincible. Yeah. And they're all just like <laughs> smiling and it's just, it's it's that whole, like that whole sequence is great. Well, he says me. like you'll be able to see and do see things, things that no, normal. no one else can see or yeah. whatever. Oh, well, we yeah. And we also didn't mention that the, how did we leave out the gross blob of eyeballs yeah that's like floating around following them well yeah that shows up around this time well it's before they get their i think it's before they get have their drinks like they they whatever who cares it's fine this thing that's like just all eyeballs is levitating it has a mouth but there's like an eye in there too is like whatever this thing sees little pan sees yeah it's like his the, the way he can keep track of it's like a he calls it the watcher yeah the watcher couple of things about this creature first of all i think it looks really good oh it's awesome it reminds so me a bit of the slimer from slimer ghostbusters 100 percent has that kind of vibe also if you play dungeons and dragons there's a type of monster called the beholder which looks exactly like that I have to believe that whoever designed that monster played D&D because it's called the Beholder and this is called the Watcher. Like it's like they're just trying not to get sued and it looks almost exactly the same. Only the Watcher is a little more comedic looking. But I appreciate about that that's kind of the whole the the other monster that we couldn't define what it was either. All the monsters are kind of comic-y right. in this and and that that's fun about it it's ghostbusters yeah very ghostbusters it feels like yeah. they're they're taking a page from ghostbusters yeah. where it's like we want to have monsters and things that are scary but they're not really going to be scary they're going to be kind of cute and fun it's pg-13 and it, yeah. it falls perfectly in that rating so yeah we get into the big fight in the wedding ceremony we have to uh, mention that egg is telling everybody to like because they just want to like go in and get Lopan. But he's like, wait, we have to wait till the ceremony's done so he'll be human again. Right. Because he's going to become basically corporeal yeah. and they'll be able to kill him because yes. he's in his form that's you can't he can't touch things. There's no. a scene where he goes and he tries to touch Mao Yin yeah. and he can't because he doesn't have physical form. Right. And he's like, oh, I long to touch you or whatever. He whatever only has physical about. form when he's like the decrepit old man with no skin. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, he they can't kill him until he's completed enough of the ceremony, which involves him like pricking their arms or whatever with his love needle love needle <laughs> yeah. so yeah we get a big um martial artsy type fight here which is an improvement over the one in the alley in my opinion i think so most notably uh jack starts off the battle on the wrong foot because he he's, <laughs> he's all excited and he shoots, shoots his gun in the air and it knocks a piece of uh, cement off the ceiling or whatever and it knocks him out 
could that not be more American, by the way? Yeah. Like, I feel like that's so, like, America! Like, I'm gonna shoot the guns at the ceiling and the bricks, like, hit him on the head and knock him out. I mean, I just well had, like, little birds flying around his head for a minute because he's just, like, out for the count. Everyone runs into the fight and we just see Jack laying on the floor. And it's it just makes me laugh every time. It's so, it's, it's just... He's such a great character. You know what I was thinking this time is like, I think Game of Thrones copped this move. Remember the battle where Tyrion gets knocked out early in the battle and he, he like survives because, <laughs> because he's unconscious he the whole time? <laughs> yes. I think yeah. they took a page from they did. Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Although Jack does get up and no, gets No, he gets involved. up and he gets back in the game. But it's only it's, for the first few minutes of the it's, fight. It's just funny at the first few minutes. But, you know, the thing that's sort of notable about this fight is the three storms are all there and they're using their powers. And Wang is sort of paired off against, I think it is Rain. And Rain is flying through the air and they're doing this like sword fighting through the air. And even though it's like a cheesy effect, you see stuntmen kind of flying through the air, but then they do the close-ups between them and you can see that they're just like lying on their sides or whatever and being pulled on a cart or something, but it's still a lot of fun. It's fun, 80 special effects. And like Dennis Dunn is, is pulling off the sword fighting and, I mean, he's not doing all those crazy flips. His character is really acrobatic and will do like these backflips. He did so many back handsprings like in a row. Was it, as someone who did gymnastics, good job, Wang. Dennis Dunn did not execute those, as you'd probably guess, but they do look cool. Yeah, he did, but he he did some of it because in the trivia it was saying that he had dabbled in training as a kid and done some Chinese opera as an adult. So he was he was able to do some of it. I mean, I don't he didn't do all of it, but it's really time for his his character shines in yeah. this. Like you really get to see him just fly into the air. And this is when like, yeah, Carpenter's just like going all out at this point too. And he was even I was reading this in the trivia too, where he was talking about he was like pulling out all the stops. Like he was like had the trampolines and wires. Where he worked with martial arts choreographer James Liu who planned every scene in detail. Carpenter stated, I used every cheap gag, trampolines, wires, reverse movements, upside down sets. It was much like photographing a dance. Cool. Which is great. I don't really have a problem with the first one in the, the street or whatever. It's just kind of whatever. I would it, just say it's underwhelming. It isn't. It's just kind of, it just is just what's happening. But this end fight is like, wow. Like yeah. I, I'm totally really impressed and really enjoying it. And it's just, he could tell he's just pulling out all the stops. So the, the ceremony's done. He's becoming more human. Like we're seeing Lopan, like he's like bleeding. He's like yeah. cutting his hand with his, he's got like these crazy long nails. And he's excited that he's bleeding. Yeah. Cause he's like, it's working. Yeah. It's working. And you know, Kim Cattrall is like snapped out of the trance or whatever. Right. And she like, pushes one of the guys that's near her over right, and then the she thing. falls off of the platform or whatever too and then like kurt russell is like fighting this looks right. kind of like a knight and he's got like well he's got like kurt russell has this knife that was in his like leg like in his like a holster in his, something like boot moccasins that he wears yeah some sort of holster rig or something like that and so this knight like he somehow like is able to have him he kind of falls on it yes but then he's dealing with like he stabbed this but he it's more comedy because he's like he can't do anything because this giant knight is like on top of him yeah, he's not a knight but he is armored and yeah. he's got this cool mask yeah it's a really cool design yeah character. It's, knight's not the right word but 
Heavily armored. Fell- heavily armored, yes. Long story short, Jack uh, rescues Gracie, or, well, she kind of rescues herself. She rescues herself. And she, you know, the brides are dressed in these elaborate, traditional, sort of traditional looking Chinese like ceremony outfits or something. They're, I mean, they're really pretty, but it's like it's a lot. In the, and also the makeup and everything. It's, yeah, almost kabuki like. Yeah. Um, and if you've ever seen any sort of pictures or anything from this movie, if you're familiar with just the iconography of it, you always see Kim Cattrall in this final outfit and you see jack in his jeans and his samurai sleeveless shirt or whatever that he wears they escape to go up to uh like lopan's office area because lopan escapes with meow yen Yen, and they're like we have to go get lopan yeah well first of all he and Kim Cattrall like make out on the way up to the office. Right. And this is one of my favorite things because she has like all this really extravagant makeup on, including lipstick. And so she's making out with him. And so then he has this like her red lipstick all over his mouth. And he goes in to like show have this showdown with Lopan. And nobody's saying anything, but he looks ridiculous. Yeah. Like it looks like he's wearing lipstick. Yep. So and as they're riding up in the elevator, Kim Kim Cattrall or Gracie's like, you know, do you have a gun? He's like, I have a knife. She's like, you have a knife? She's like, this guy is like 12 feet tall. He's like, he's seven feet tall. I can handle it. Right. And he's like, tells her that he's taken this drink and he's like, I can, I can see, see. Yeah. do things normal men can't do. Yeah. And that's when she's like, oh, really? And then she, that's when they kiss. Yeah. So it gets out though and they go and um, yeah, they have a fight. It's, a, you know, the whole showdown and, and Wang is there too and they're still fighting because there was still uh, thunder still there. Yeah. So Jack curls his knife at Lopan and he misses and it just falls on the floor and it's the thunk and it's just like and, and James Hong's this face is just like okay you know like it's kind of laughing at him because it's just and Kim and Kim Control's like see your knife I told you like this is so then Lopan picks up the knife and he's like you know goodbye Mr. Barton or something like that and throws it at Jack, but Jack, with his cat-like reflexes, catches the knife and immediately throws it back and stabs Lopan right in the head. Yep. It's great. Yeah. So that's the end of Lopan. Right. Because he's got a knife in his head. And then Thunder, I think, is the only one left. No, there's two left. Oh, there's are two left? This is where I get I start to be impatient with this because we've killed Lopan. The big bad's yeah. dead. But now we've still got to deal with Thunder who he basically just kills himself. Well, it's Thunder and Lightning are left. Right. Thunder basically does himself well, in because he, he gets he does so that thing angry. Where he, where he gets angry and he puffs up, and this time he explodes. Right. Which is also great. I love this effect, too, by good, the way, yeah. where he's just like all puffed up, and it's like this little tiny face, and he's huge. And we don't see him as actually explode, but like they're out in the, the hallway, and you see pieces of him. Yes. And then... They have lightning chasing them. Yeah, because um, Wang killed Rain in the yeah. sword fight. Okay. So there's two of the storms left. So then lightning comes down through the ceiling or whatever, and then they've got to escape through like a hole in the ceiling and... and Egg shows up. And... He has got this crossbow that's got a like zip line on it. He shoots it down and then we gotta watch Jack <laughs> we gotta watch every character this go up the zip line. This time we have to watch line. everybody go up the zip line whereas before like 
We didn't have to watch them when they were escaping through tunnels. It other just place. feels it's labored. Just that, that, that is a bit much. Yeah. And then they defeat lightning. A guy who can shoot lightning with his hands by like dropping a like statue Buddha on statue him? on him. Did we need five minutes of film to get to this whole last little battle? I, I agree with you here. This should have been wrapped up quicker. We should have wrapped it up faster. They should have killed the other storms in the big the fight. The big battle. And, and then, then just had the Lopan. showdown with Lopan. The, the end. end. Agreed. But they find Jack's truck, the Pork yep. Chop Express, which is really what he's been wanting most of all the whole time. And they escape as the police are coming. And then Gracie's like, stop! Because they come to a stoplight. Uh-huh. And then they stop and they're all sort of relieved seems a little awkward right like that's how we sort of end this well there's a reason and it's because i watched the extra scene there was more to this mm-hmm. originally when they stop at that stoplight the way it is now she's just like stop and they all stop and then wang and his bride make out and gracie's like isn't that nice yeah. or whatever but in the original cut then they look up and they saw the punk rock gangsters or whatever from the airport uh-huh. and jack's like i've got a bone to pick with them or whatever and he chases them to the docks and he pushes their car <laughs> they're in like a sports car and he pushes their sports car into the bay or whatever well i would have rather had that and cut out some of the fight we just talked about yeah. at the end unnecessary like i would have rather had five minutes of him like taking care like kind of having full circle with his gang yeah because they're the ones that stole his truck exactly So, yeah, they tie up that loose end and that extra scene, but it was cut. So, yeah, we're at the end. They all gather back at the restaurant again. And Wang gives Jack his money and then some. He's like triple. Gives him triple. Yep. And uh, Egg Shen says, like, this is, you know. I'm going on vacation. He's like, yeah, this has been my whole life's work or whatever to stop the evil from coming. And so now I'm going to go on vacation. Making no sense of the first scene. Nope. And Jack and Gracie kind of have this thing where um, Margo's like, aren't you going to kiss her? Well, she's like, it's this whole thing of are they going to get together? And Jack's like, oh, people don't like to, people get, yeah, sick, you'll of get me. sick of me. And and she's like, well, maybe you can make me a, a apartment, a, a apartment in, your... in the truck or get a bigger truck or something like right. that. Because she he was like, well, he was saying, you know, I'm offering you again to come out, leave everything behind, come out on the road or whatever. And she's like, yeah, they're just doing this. Neither one of them wants to change their lives, basically. They like each other. Neither one of them wants to make any sort of compromise. But if we see each other again, great. And that's just kind of how it is. And then the real relationship of the film, Jack and Wang, comes to its conclusion where they just talk to each other at the door. And Jack's like, we really brought down like the thunder from the heavens, didn't we, Wang? And Wang's like, no horseshit, Jack. And so then Jack takes off and we are back in the Pork Chop Express and it's raining. And he's talking about like, if you ever find yourself on a dark and stormy night, you tell him Jack Burton said. Just listen to the old Pork Chop Express here now and take this as his advice on a dark and stormy night when the lightning's crashing and the thunder's rolling and the rain's coming down. He's paying homage to the names of the three storms. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And the camera pans back and we see that the monster that took Cape and Control, the unidentifiable monster orangutan thing <laughs> yeah. is hiding in, the, in the back of the truck. The end. 
the end. Okay, so yeah, like I said, box office wise, this movie didn't do too great. It opened uh, to $2.7 million, which is pretty bad even for the 80s. It went on to gross $11 million, and that was on a budget that was estimated to be between 19 and $25 million. So it didn't even make its money back at all and was considered a big flop. The reviews were okay, I think. I feel like they quote Rotten Tomatoes and say that its Rotten Tomatoes score is, is kind of high, but I feel like that's not accurate because... That's probably not taking into account the reviews that came out in the 80s. That's like nerds who love the movie now, giving it a higher Rotten Tomatoes rating. But I think it was more or less liked by critics enough. I think they were like, yeah, it's fun. You know, they they appreciated what John Carpenter was homaging, his chopsocky homage and whatever. But financially, there's no argument that it was a commercial failure now, Jennifer, why do you think it was a failure? <laughs> well, I mean, just the fact that I wouldn't know how to sell this to somebody. Hey, do you like martial arts and Chinese mysticism and Indiana Jones? And I mean, I don't, you know, it's it's kind of just all over the map. It's like something if you could get somebody to watch it, they'll like it. But how do you get somebody to watch it? Yeah. And I think Kurt Russell was kind of an, you know, he's a name at that point. But was he a big enough star to draw people into the theater? Was anyone a big enough star to draw people into the theater probably at that time? Kurt Russell arguably was never a big enough star to draw people into the theater. I mean, he had probably a bigger heyday in the early 90s when he was in you know like action stuff more but he was never even a bruce willis or anything like he he was an actor that people loved and you know they would see movies that he would be in but it wasn't like oh kurt russell's in it i got i mean he he was in tons of movies that didn't do well we've talked about them yeah he certainly never had the sort of arnold schwarzenegger sylvester stallone even Bruce Willis type of box office clout. Well, and it wouldn't be, Kim, Kim Cattrall wouldn't do Mannequin until 87. So no one really knew who she was yet either. I mean, she had had like, she was in Porky's and had done some other stuff. Yeah, but, she was in movies. But, but I mean, after, I, I would say after Mannequin, like people would definitely know who she is more than, I mean, but before then she hadn't done a lot of stuff or especially hadn't been like a the, the lead. Yeah. There's nothing in this movie that would get past your average uh, script reader for in any way, shape or form because it just does not stick to any kind of rules that, would be deemed marketable story structure wise it's all over the place it's just a complete and utter i don't want to say mess because that's not really being fair to the movie but it it's such an oddity it's such a collection of quirks and weirdness and it just goes wherever it wants to go so the fact that it did not do well is not surprising at all and like you were saying yeah impossible to market 
I mean, the only thing at the time you could even compare it to would be an Indiana Jones movie. But it's so not that. Right. It's not that either. But that's so, the only thing that I can keeps coming to my mind. No, I'm sure that's exactly what they were hoping this would capture was that Indiana Jones type of heat. You know, you've got Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom, Big Trouble in Little China. It's even got the same kind of ring to it as an Indiana Jones movie. It's a messy film. I wouldn't say it's a mess, no. but it is messy. That's that's a great way to put it. And messy things are things that we can love. I think we all love messy things. Sure we do. Um, I would also, just in closing, like to say that if you are a fan of awkward um, 80s pop music, you owe it to yourself <laughs> to check out the video for the end theme called Big Trouble in Little China, because in the 80s, to those kids who weren't there for it, a lot of times movies would have songs, mm -hmm. pop songs as their closing credits that would have the actual name of the movie in the closing credits. And the great thing about the song Big Trouble in Little China is that it is written by John Carpenter, who is also a musician, and it's performed by his rock band, the Coupe de Villes. And in the Coupe de Villes is Nick Castle, who went on to become a director of note on his own. And he also played Michael Myers in the first Halloween. And their song is really kind of awesomely bad. And the video is really kind of awesomely bad. It's so great. It's like them editing the movie, but they're also jamming out on the song and then they're cutting in pieces of the movie. I love it. It's so I, I just dorky. love it. It's it is dorky. It's dorky, but I love it. I I, I wanna I'm gonna watch it again now. Yeah, it's cool. It comes on the <laughs> digital <laughs> download totally, or whatever. I'm so here for it. It's great if you love dorky eighties attempts at pop. I do. highly recommend it will definitely be in the episode. Oh yeah. Big trouble. And little China. All right, I'm going to kidnap the green-eyed woman and drive my big rig into an alleyway and kung fu fight some demons. <laughs> I'm just going to go watch that John Carpenter Nick Castle video for the 10th time. The Coupe de Villes. The Coupe de Villes. <laughs> That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.